Alrighty, so we are on the fourth, fifth week? Fifth week of the year? All right. Counting down, and I don't know how many that leaves left out of 52, um, but it's something in the 40s. All right. And so we're on week five out of 52 weeks to continue our change, our year of reformation, our year of being reformed. All right. Because sometimes we become something that, that we weren't supposed to be. Amen. And that's not necessarily good. Amen. So today we're looking at um, reformation through support. Reformation through support. Amen. Amen. And I know right now you guys are sitting on a pretty side of this. Most of you, the majority of you, are sitting on the pretty side of this. Because you have shown in some way, a large group of you have shown support to somebody at some time recently. So you can feel mighty, mighty good that somewhere along the lines you have shown support to a sister or a brother. And that makes you feel like on this particular message, pastor is not going to come for me. It's a time to celebrate. Amen. <laughs> it is even on yesterday afternoon we did nothing but support everyone came to support the vision to support our church to support renovations and if you know it or not renovations help to support the momentum of the church because if stuff starts falling apart, nobody respects the building. And it's not that the building is as important in the things of God, but the building is important for the comfort of the people of God. Right? I'm sure you don't want to sit here in the freezing cold or the scorching heat or the rain falling on your head. And so this just allows your fellowship and your time of learning and encouragement to be more comfortable, that you can just focus on the word of God without much distraction. Even now, you're distracted. Focus, right? Uh, so we supported the, the ministry. We supported whatever it is that God wants to do through our church um, collectively, all of us that were here. And if you couldn't make it, then I'm sure your tithes and offerings are also reflecting that because we could not have bought the paint or the tiles or anything else that was needed, the drop cloths, the paint brushes, the paint bins, the cups, the utensils, none of that. We could even bought dinner, which we all had afterwards. <laughs> had it not been for your financial support. So nevertheless, in some ways, you are supporting, right? And you're supporting something together, collectively. But when we arrived, there are those of us that were supporting individually. Somebody was holding a ladder. Somebody was carrying a cup. Somebody was moving trash. Somebody was kicking chairs out the way. In some way or shape or form, we began to learn how to support one another. What I think is unique, and I'm just using that as an example, if you were not here, it's okay, we're gonna do another one, right? And you could come to that one and be like, yay, this is what we were doing. <laughs> I'm being a support, you know. Uh, but we learned and implemented what it means to be a support. Um, I think in our modern society, we get confused, if we will, um, between the role of support and the role of carrying someone. There are two different things. Two different things. <clears throat> And some of us who have uh, codependent tendencies, 
do not recognize that support does not equal carry. And so we think that if I love you, then I show support by carrying you. And that's tough because when you run into somebody like me, you will find that I will not carry you at all. I will tell you, put some weight on your own two feet. Now, if by chance your knees start to buckle, then I'll just, I'll just boop, boop, all right. But in terms of just picking you up, so your feet is just dangling around, and I'm just carrying you on to your next spot, that is not ever going to happen. Never, ever, never, ever. Not going to happen. Because I know one thing. Muscles that don't work, don't work. Even after injury, muscles that don't work after injury don't work even more so after injury. So then I'm stuck with this lame sheep. Hello? That could never walk. Hello? Can never stand on their own. Can never discern good from evil. Can never hear the voice of God. Can never study the word accurately. This is all not good as a pastor. And concerning I don't have codependent tendencies, I don't need to be needed. Not in the slightest. I prefer if you don't need me, then we can just all hang out and just have a good time. I'm not that person. I, I like being needed, but I don't need to be needed. I don't define myself by how much people need me. As a matter of fact, I would prefer if nobody needed me and we can just play Mario Brothers or something like that and some Phase 10 and just, you know, I mean, come on, man. Right? That's, that's, that's a good day. But some of us are still being healed and delivered from codependent relationships, so thus we decide to carry people because carrying them makes us feel like they will love us. And all we're really trying to do is make sure that we are loved. Right? Because we've had so much rejection that we don't want to go through a period of time where somebody does not love us. So I'll do whatever it takes to maintain this love, even though I know it is not good for you and it is not good for me. You know it off the top. Hello, somebody. You absolutely know it. But the fear of being rejected by another person or another situation has gripped you so that you will even say that this is godly. Hello, somebody. That you will carry them and your back is about to break. And you will just keep straining under the pressure because you felt like it was your responsibility. But you begin to feel like that that is, that is a necessity for life. And this translates over and over and over again in your life with God and, and, and in your life with other people. Parents become carriers of children well past the carrying age. Hello, somebody. If you won't let me carry you, then I'm going to be mean to you. Hello, somebody. I'm going to just, you're going to just fall on your face. Now, nobody, it's another way, dear parent. You don't have to carry the child that is 20-something years old. You can support the child that is 20-something years old, right? And because you didn't have anyone to show you what support was, you don't know that it's not carrying. And it's tough for parents, especially mothers, that have carried a child for nine months, carried a child for 16 years, made sure they had everything they needed, all the food, all the water, all the shelter, all the things. They were their best friends for many of the years. Some of them parents got a real hard time just being a support. Hello, somebody, because now your kid going to have ideas and opinions and thoughts that you did not give them, ways and things that you did not recognize. Hello, somebody. And you're going to say to self, self, I know this child is not doing life apart from the way I showed them. 
So you'll wrestle to carry them, kick their knees from under them, break a limb, whatever it takes. But you're going to make me carry you. That doesn't really work. Become abusive, codependent. Now the kid is running away, right? On the flip side, you don't want to do anything. She won't let me carry you. I'm just not going to sit by and watch. Anybody ever been in that situation where you see somebody hurting or doing something stupid or doing something wrong and it hurts your heart so much that you say, I can't watch it. But let's just be honest. Watching that with somebody you love is not too hard for you. If you had to live it, that might be too hard for you. If you were the one going through it, that might be challenging. But to be the observer of the one going through it is not nearly as hard as going through it. And I know for parents, you have been going through the same things that you have to observe in your children. What I'm trying to say is there's a form of manipulation that begins to creep up in us where you become the center at a time that you were supposed to be the support. So now it's your feelings and your emotions that trump your ability to actually be a support because being a support is not as easy as carrying the child. I was, at the, I was on the tennis courts with Sister Jewel, excuse me, Coach Jewel, um, <laughs> the other day. And it was funny because she's got this little girl, she's sweet as pie, named Kenzie. And they got this machine, I don't know if you've ever seen, they got a machine that picks up tennis balls. It's the coolest thing, you just run it over. I didn't even know that. Let me tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> You just get behind this cart and you run it across the, the court and it just sucks up tennis balls and puts them in a basket. I thought it was the coolest thing. I was like, oh my goodness. And so you know kids probably enjoy pushing this cart. It's like a ball vacuum cleaner. It's super cool. So Jewel, Coach Jewel says, Kenzie, go ahead and push the cart and click collect the, the tennis balls. And so Kenzie does. Now, have you ever seen a kid push a big cart? The cart is about seven times bigger than this girl, but it's easy to push. But you know what kids are going to do. They're going to go, okay, get that one, and then, and get that one. Oh, Got to go back over there and get this one. You know, they don't just take a scan of it and go, I'm going to go up and down, left and right. You know, mm -mm. they go, oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. Oh, Got to go. That, that one. Oh, no, there's another one over there. And it's just. And I'm looking at Coach Jewel, and I'm saying, I'm talking to Coach Jewel, like, okay, let's talk. You and me, let's have a little conversation. Let's go over some things. She sees this little girl struggling. Taking forever to get these balls. And what does Coach Joel do? She leaves me and goes, takes the cart from little Kinsey and says, go sit down. I got it. What? I said, Coach Joel, Kinsey enjoyed that. But it's going to take forever. That's fine. You've got something you could be doing. And what I recognize when it comes to adults and children that they coach, raise, or train is that rather than focusing on what you need to be focusing on in this stage of your life, wow. it's a whole bunch of stuff you were supposed to be focusing on on this stage in your life. Hello, somebody. But you decide that your kid is taking too long. Huh? You decided they're going the hard way around this. They're doing it the hard way. Let me take care of it. And so now you have abandoned what you were supposed to be developing in because you can't stand to watch your kid take forever to do something. But taking forever to do it is a part of learning it. But you, I, just can't, I can't watch this fast. It's going to take her forever. Okay, well, don't watch it and work on your stuff. 
that just seems natural to me. I'm going to take that from that girl. And she liked it. I was so hurt. I was like, Jewel, Coach Jewel. I was hurt. I was like, Coach Jewel, she was so excited. And she's like, uh-uh, she's going to take it from Go sit down, Kenzie. Kenzie was like, okay. Horrible. Sometimes we don't know how to support. We don't know the method of support. We don't understand it. And even if we knew it, we don't like it. I don't want to be a support. I want to be the chief. I want to be number one. I want to be in the front. I want you to be able to look back and say, it was all because of my mama. It was all because of my daddy. Right? That's, that's what I want. So I'm not going to support. If I see you going off just a little bit, I'm going to pick you up and carry you there myself. If you won't let me do it, I'm going to act like I don't even know you. I'm going to disown you until you get away from me. I'm going to silence you. You know, you know, come on now. I mean, my parents weren't like this, but I know some of y'all are. I'm going to give you the cold shoulder. I'm going to shut up the affections. I'm going to shut up the compliments. I'm going to silence the attention because you decided not to do what I wanted you to do. And in truth, you may be right. But if the kid got it wrong, hello, you told me, so who's with that? Sister Shahida, you wanted something on parenting, right? If, even if you're right and the kid got it wrong, that's when they need your support the most. That's when they need you the most. When they're getting it wrong, not when they're getting it right. They need affection when they got it wrong, not just when they got it right. They need attention when they get it wrong, not just when they get it right. Sister Gabrielle doesn't often do many things wrong, not often. And what she does do wrong every once in a while, it takes about an hour or two for me to just pop, pop, and she's back in line, or there's nothing else left for me to say, even if she's not in line. But there are others of you that you do things wrong, and it's a long, periodically time of processing, of talking, and ministry, and counseling, and conversations, and text messages, and blah, 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 over and over and over and over and over again. Which means that those who are consistently getting something wrong get more what? Attention and time. And this makes people like Gabrielle upset. Because why for when I do things right, do I not get the same amount of attention and time as these people that get it wrong? And the only thing I can tell her is as a minister, you're going to have to learn that it's more important to be with people when they're down bad rather than being with them when they're up good. It's more important to be there when they're lacking, not when they're gaining. It's more important when they failed, not when they succeeded. It's more important when your kid has thoroughly messed up. Sister Glenda, who's in children's ministry right now, on one of the first days she went, went to meet my parents. She went to the house. Mommy and daddy had something going on. I don't know what it was, dinner, or I don't know, you know. So me and Glenda came from probably a party. Who knows? Me and Glenda, we drove down from Athens, Georgia. We was at college at the time and went to go hang out at my parents' house. And as Glenda was leaving, she hit my mama's car. Poosh! And we were all in the house going, oh, no. And I was like, dang it. Why my friends got to hit my mama car? And we go running out. We go running out. Oh, God, Sister Glenda, are you okay? Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, oh, my God, my mama's going to kill you. She's going to kill you. You about to be dead. It ain't nothing I could do. You're going to be dead right here. She's going to rip you a whole new one. And my mama got a tongue. Ooh, you're going to cry. Ooh, you're going to cry. Ooh, she about to hurt all your feelings. She can call you. Uh, oh, you don't even want to know what she can call you. I'm, I'm just going to shut up. So I just sat back there with my head down like, ooh, wee. Go ahead, mama. Let her have it. 
Because if it was me, you know, go ahead, let her have it, mama. Prepare yourself. <laughs> Prepare to be amazed. You about to die today. <laughs> my mom came out of that house, looked at the car, said, Glenda, baby, are you okay? Glenda was like, oh, my God. Uh, Miss Hudson, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Miss Hudson. My papa said, it's okay, baby. It's just a car. I did not make this up. You won't even let me drive your car. This girl hit your car. She ain't even in the family. <laughs> to this day, that was the beginning of a love relationship that Glenda had with my mother. That's the thing she always talks about most, about how open my mom was and loving and kind. Glenda served my mom for years when mommy got sick, free of charge. Gave all the nursing stuff she could possibly give. Did all the visits three times a day, whatever mommy needed. They was tight, tight. And it all happened because my mom decided to be a support. When she felt stupid, when she felt clumsy, when she felt careless, when she felt really bad, mommy decided rather than worrying about me and my car and what it's going to cost me, I'm going to be a support. And I recognize how important being a support to people is when they are down bad. Now, some of you don't know how to receive that support, right? Because you were taught not to desire it and not to want it. And since you messed up, just pick yourself up. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Now, you know that's not possible. If you got shoestrings, can you pull yourself up by your own shoestrings? It's an impossibility, but yet you are told to strive for that like it's actually, you're actually capable of doing it. Just pull yourself up. Did you see that? That's not going to work. You can't pick yourself up from your own shoestrings. But you're told that this is what you're supposed to do and that this is what being an adult is. And this is what being independent is, right? And so by the time you, you get grown, you still over here trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and you're looking crazy. Hello? And I'm like, well, why don't you just stand up? Nah, nah, nah. Just take my hand. Nah, I don't, I don't want your hand. Somehow I'm going to figure out how to pull myself up. Somehow I'm going to Right? Because some, somebody told you that being taking support was a weakness. And that's not true. Amen? Amen? If you've ever received support in your life, I mean good support. All right, then you recognize how good it is, right? When you get good support, you know, good, man, this is good. And, and then what you want to do, you want to go support somebody else. No, 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 it's fine. Let me, let me tell you, it feels good. But people that don't have good support, or not offer good support, have a hard time receiving good support. And then they also have a hard time showing good support because you will hold everybody else to the same standard in which you were raised. Right? You've made something a strength that isn't a strength. And now you're forcing people to have that type of strength, and that's not a strength at all. In the body of Christ, as we're going to learn today, it is more important to know how to support 
and how to be supported. It takes both things. To the golden retrievers, the, um, what's it called, the, the, the codependent type, you only know how to be a support. And you, you think you got that very well. Like, Pastor, I love hard. I'm good at loving people. No, you're not. If you're not good at receiving love, you're not good at giving love. That's a fact. And you've prided yourself on an ability that you have not mastered. I know. Take that in. No, I love people. I, my problem is I love too much. No, your problem is that you love incorrectly. Because you have a hard time receiving love. You have a hard time asking for support. You have a hard time accepting support. And you swear that you give it rightly. Your view is skewed. But a person that knows how to give support and receive support, right? They know how to give. When people, somebody might come to the church. This is Brother Jesse used to come to church before now. You know, back in the day, he was coming in and out. And he always come in needing something. He would come in needing a lot of stuff. He would hold his head down, Pastor, I don't want to ask you. What you need? I don't want to ask you. What is it? I need this. Okay, here you go. After times, I would see him just, his countenance would fall, and he didn't want to ask for anything. And I would get upset with him. And some of you are similar to that. And I'd say, well, when you get it, and I don't have it, would you not want to give it to me? Sister Sheena was the same way. Sister Sheena would never take anything from me. And it was nothing about my love for her, is that she was taught that that makes her weak. It makes her appear weak. And I said, Sheena, if I needed something, would you not give it to me? She said, of course I would, Pastor. I said, well, how do you think it makes me feel that when you need something, you won't take it from me? So you have a standard that receiving from me makes you weak. So this inadvertently means that you think when I'm in need, I'm weak. Can you see that? You think it's, you look bad when you're in need. So why would I come to you in my need? Because I know you think I look bad. But when you can give good support and receive good support, you'd be like, I got you today. You get me tomorrow, all right? That's, just, that's pretty much it, right? That's, that's something that you have to learn to do when you were not raised that way. When your family unit was not um, uh, working collectively together. That's something you have to relearn, and it's okay, all right? But you have to relearn it because the kingdom of God functions on support, right? The whole body, even so the leg, the hip, the tendon, and the muscle, and the joint, and the knee, elbow, to the butt, elbow, to the, you know, it's all connected, and it'd be telling you the whole song and the whole story that it's all interconnected, and we're going to look at scriptures with that, but I wanted us to preface on our introduction on this particular message about the necessity of support and how bad we are at it. Right, And in this house, I assure you, you're not bad at giving support. I've seen your hearts. You give and you give and you serve and you serve and you'll do and you'll do, but you do not know how to receive it. So the giving becomes tainted. It becomes burned out. It becomes obligatory. You begin to feel used. Because when somebody was trying to serve it back to you, you rejected it. Receiving support, giving support. It's not carrying someone. It's not going above and over, uh, do it, you know. It's, it's, it's something learned. When we first went to South Africa, our first trip to South Africa, um, Mama Jean went with us. <laughs> and we had to watch Sister Jewel, her daughter, 
help support Mama Jean in getting out of the seat, because we worked Mama Jean, okay? Just so you know. Mother Bell the same way. Ain't nobody handicapped when you go on a trip with me. <laughs> you can have crutches and a wheelchair. You ain't handicapped. You better wheel that chair. <laughs> I got this cane. That's why you ain't handicapped. Cane yourself on down. <laughs> Yeah, so, so we worked Mama Jean, right? But when we got home and she sat down, ooh, them knees was hurting. And so you have to help her up. Now, we all marveled because Sister Jewel helps Mama Jean up like this. And we couldn't stand it. We would look at Mama Jean in pain and awkward. <laughs> Like, Joel, stop. We'll, we'll help her. It's all right, Mama G. We got you. Come on. One, two, three. All right. You know? And we try to show Joel every time. <laughs> By the third day, we was like, Joel, don't ever help your mom up. We got it from here on out. Right? Over time, she has gotten, I mean, just 0.001% better at this. To this day, we still got to be like, Jewel, don't, don't pull her like arm like that. <laughs> Push her butt just a little bit. Don't you pulling her too hard. She don't need all that help. Just, she just want just a little balance. Ah. <laughs> this is her mother. And even supporting her mother does not come naturally. What I'm tr even though the heart is willing, what I'm trying to say is it's okay to have to learn how to support it's not a reflection that you got a bad heart it just means when it was time to observe some things you didn't observe them right that's all it is it ain't nothing wrong with your heart right you just don't know how to how to do it <laughs> let's look at psalms 94 verse 16 through 19. i'm going to look at a couple of verses that involve us being a support, us needing supports, and then going to look at a story about support. So Psalms 94, what did I say? 16 through 19. When you're there, say amen. amen. A psalm in the book of Psalms. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. Anybody ever been in the land of silence? I didn't even know when he wrote, I was like, that's exactly what it is. I feel so not helped, so not supported. I don't know if it's anger, frustration. I, I knew they wouldn't. A matter of fact, I don't know what it is I'm feeling. And all these feelings just, what's wrong? Nothing. You sure? I'm fine. You go to pray, you ain't got nothing to pray about. You try to talk to him, nothing really comes out about the situation. It's just silent. It's, I feel like there's people and Satan, there's something that's fighting against me. It's stuff that I know is happening to me that is not right. And I'm upset because it doesn't seem like anybody is really taking notice of this. And so now I'm just... <sighs> 
disappointed, discouraged, feeling left alone. He said, if it wasn't for you, I would have lived and stayed in the land of silence where it is just dead. No cries for help, no cries of joy, just numb. Right? Because my soul would have soon have lived in that land of silence. He goes on to say, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart were many, your consolations cheer my soul. Anybody ever thought my foot slips? Yep. I mean, it ain't really, you don't really say it like that because we're not David, you understand? But, <laughs> but we'd be like, I don't know if I can take this. I don't know how much longer I can. I think I might give up. I think you could just see off in the distance that you're getting ready to fail. That you're getting ready to fall. Hello? I'm not going to be able to keep this up. I'm not going to be able to maintain this. This is, uh, uh, my foot is, do you see? I'm about to fall. You could feel it just happening right under. You're like, oh, snaps. He says, your steadfast love did what? Held me up. I like this because he said it wasn't your hand. Hello? It wasn't that you, you provided a rock out of nowhere. Your steadfast love held me up. It's a man on the edge of a cliff whose foot has just slipped. Nothing came to pick him up or to put that foot back. It's just love, something on the inside that caused him to grip even tighter and hold on even more. I love this verse because it shows us the importance of God's love towards us and what it is capable of doing that we don't think it's capable of doing. That God's faithfulness towards us is enough that even if my foot slips, well, how you holding on? I don't know. I don't know. It's nothing. Okay, my foot is, my situation does not change. But all of a sudden, I feel stronger. I feel more capable. I feel like it's a possibility. I just got to hold on a little bit longer. I dug my knuckles in even tighter. I gripped it even more. And we don't give God's amazing love enough credit. When our foot begins to slip, we panic. We worry, we get anxious and distressed because we see our insufficiencies and our inadequacies. Is that the word, right? And then we, we account that we cannot possibly stay up. And we don't recognize the power of God's steadfast love. Amen. Like, he says there's something in that. Like, I just keep loving on you, and I keep loving on you, and I keep loving on you. And you don't recognize that that alone is to stop you from falling. And Satan will convince you to look at all of your failures, all of your weaknesses, all of the times you didn't do it right, and then say, well, past times will prove future times. No, no, no. Past times is past times. What's going to determine my future time is the love of God and not my ability. It shifted from the responsibility being on you to stay up. And that it was something that was given to you. 
It was something that was given to you that caused you to stay up. God said fast love caused you to stay up. It wasn't your determination. It wasn't your willpower. It wasn't your, I got to do it because I'm so down bad. It wasn't you beating yourself up. It wasn't you celebrating you. It wasn't you encouraging yourself. It was just that God came in and gave you his unwavering love. And somehow that stopped you from completely falling. When Satan tries to convince you, when that fear that I'm not going to make it creeps up, that I'm not going to be able to maintain this, won't be able to stay truthful to the Father, faithful in this situation, holy, righteous, I won't be able to no longer smoke cigarettes, I won't be able to stop or walk away from that. When Satan tries to convince you that you don't have what it takes to do it, you can look back at this verse and say, it's not me that has to have what it takes. All I got to do is receive the steadfast love of God and you will find that you are not falling. Don't come to me asking for no 10-step program. I don't have it. Where's the equation to stop doing drugs? I don't know. Pastor, I'm addicted to alcohol. Do I need to go order AAA? Probably. I don't know. I'm not a specialist in addictions. I'm a specialist in deliverance. And there's only one thing that delivers a soul, and that's the steadfast love of God. It fits any problem. I need to be delivered from lust. I need to be delivered from homosexuality. I need to be delivered from crap. I need to be delivered from lying. I need to be delivered from stealing. This one thing solves any and all things that you might need to have freedom from. People pleasing. I don't know, whatever it is. Anxiety, depression. I don't major in all of the sins or the demonic spirits. That's not what I study. I don't care nothing about no strongholds or no roots. That's not what I study. I don't care about a name it or claim it. It does not matter to me. All I need to know and perfect is my understanding of the cure. And the cure is the steadfast love of God. How can I get you to see God's love? How can I get you to feel God's love? How can I get you to know God's love? How can I get you to receive God's love? How can I get you to show God's love? That's what I major in. That's where the power is. The church got off. I know all master all kinds of stuff. Master TV production and master concerts and worship debuts of albums. Master women's conferences and men's conferences. They all have their place. I'm not disputing it. Mastering demonology and the study of uh, demons and their attachments. That's all fine and good. But that's like extracurricular stuff you know like if by chance in your life you have mastered how to represent show and disseminate steadfast love of God to people then maybe you can start focusing on those things but you come to me telling me you trying to do this extra stuff I'm thinking but I don't even think you've mastered the one thing because just when you think you do God sends you somebody or put somebody in your life that you go how in the world How? How am I going to show the love of Christ to you? How? 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 You be like, Pastor, that's a demon, and I should just walk away. Mm. Looks like you might have met your next case. Hello, somebody. 
Just when you think you mastered it, you fell in front of somebody that don't know God. Mm. Mm, tough, 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 right? Just when you think it got, you got it mastered and you ready to go on to the next stuff, you ain't got nothing mastered. <laughs> I'm still learning it myself, and I get plenty of practice. <laughs> I get plenty of practice, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Every several while, I'm like, ooh, hmm. It ain't what you say, it's what you didn't say. Ooh. Pass am I crazy? Mm-mm. Pastor, is it a demon? No. Mm. What me telling you is a demon going to do for you? Nothing. Nothing but cause you to sin more. Ooh, so true. So true. Me telling you it's a demon ain't going to do nothing. Make you want to sin more. Because now you can say what, what is, what, who did it. Who's making me do it? It's the demon made me do it. It's the spirit made me do it. Because I, because when I got, I didn't really get delivered. Since one time, supposed to kind of supposed to like throw up a little bit. See, I ain't even had that that time. That's how I know the demon still. You do. <laughs> See, they don't they don't put this on the prophetic workshops because some of the prophetic people are not pastors and they don't really be knowing we've going on the inside of y'all. Don't fault them. They don't know you. They don't live with you on a day-to-day basis. They're like, that is a demon. You go, hallelujah. You come back home. It did not work. Mm, I wonder why. Mm, mm. <laughs> amen? Amen, amen. He says, <laughs> the psalmist says, when the cares of my heart are many. Anybody have cares of the heart that are many? Anybody just sit back and be like, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about that? How is this going to work? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hello? I mean, sometimes that stuff, it make, you, it make your heart race, won't it? The, the uncertainties of it all. The ambiguity of every situation. The, I don't have a concrete solution. And so then you try to find somewhat concrete solutions. Well, my first plan for this situation, I'm, I'm going to do A, B, C. Okay, now for situation number two, I'm going to do A. I don't have a B yet. Okay, but situation three, I'm going to do A, B, C, then D, then E. And then for this other situation, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, now what was, what was the first one I was going to do? I was going to do A. <laughs> but if I, can't, I can't really work on a plan for, for, for the third situation because if that one worked, then that's going to change what I was going to do on the A situation. And so then if I can't, I can't go over there because then that's going to change this. And I really, what I need to know, I need to figure out how this is going to end first. Let me figure out how this is going to end first. Then I'll know what I'm supposed to do. What you have is many cares. What you got is many cares. What you got is many cares. And I know what you think. As soon as I find solutions, I'll feel better. But let's be honest. In most of those situations, you have no guarantee that you picked the right solution. Or can you even find a solution because there's too many things that are still variable. Do you understand? You go plan it, but you be like, you know yourself, but this may not even work because I don't even know if that's even going to go that way. <laughs> so you got your own plans. You're like, I don't even believe these plans. 
Why did I even trust in my own ideas? <laughs> Who came up with this? Me. Oh. Okay, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to pastor. I'm like, pastor, what do you think I should do? <laughs> don't put that on me. Uh, pastor, but is he the one? Uh-uh. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Don't put that on me. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Should I take that job, pastor? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Uh, don't put that on me. You've got worries. You've got cares. And what the Father may be trying to teach you is not how to find solutions, but how to have peace. Cares are going to always mount up. There's never going to be a point in your life where you're not going to be bombarded with cares. This is not a test of how easy you can answer problems. I told you our brain was not built for computation. Our built and brain scientists have discovered that our built brain was built for sociology, for connecting, right? For social networking, not problem solving, right? That's, that's not what it's for. But you think that I am going to be successful in life and God will be proud of me based on how many solutions I can come up with to my problems. Like he's just sitting back going, so what you going to do, A or B? No, you do. Look at you. But ain't that what the test is? No. The test is not about A or B. No. The test is not about what number did you come up with? One plus one is two. I passed the test. Nope. Not at all. The test is not for your answers. The test is for the contents of your heart. You could have got the number right, had the right answer. But something in your heart still ain't right. Something in how you looked at it still ain't right. Some type of bitterness, some type of anxiety, some type of anger, some type of unforgiveness still ain't right, and you still picked the right answer. The test was not about the answer, baby. It wasn't about the answer. It was about what is lurking in your heart. I'm trying to test you so that you can see. And you focus so much on having the right answer that you didn't even pay no attention to the stuff that is hindering your answers, the stuff that is driving your answers, the stuff that is showing you. And you see it like, is that jealousy? Ah, I'm not jealous. The Lord know my heart. Is, is, that, is that bitterness? I'm not bitter. The Lord know my heart. And you focus so much on the solution and you are bypassing everything in this test that is revealing some deeper feelings and some deeper motives and some deeper problems. You thought it was about whether you're going to pick the right thing to do or not. That's why when some of you come to me and ask me questions, yes or no, Pastor, my first question is always a form of why. Should I do this or that, Pastor? Why? Was I right or wrong on that? Mm, we'll get to that later. But first, why? Why do you want to know? Why do you have to have the answer? Why do you think this is necessary? Why are you going down that path? Why, 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 why? Because that is the true test. And the test isn't about a scoring. It's about revealing. Like to test a mineral to say this is that. 
to test to see what's in it. Not if your heart is right or not right. The test is about what's in your heart. Can you understand that? He didn't bring the test and say, ooh, you got a down bad heart. That's irrelevant. Everybody know that already. Ooh, I brought the test to your life. You is down bad. Period. That, you even need to test me for that. I could have told you that. You think you got a good heart, down bad heart, down bad. Let's test it. No need. We already know. It's not to determine your goodness or your badness. The test is to determine what is in you. To show you what is there. And sometimes you'll see things that you thought you did not have that you needed. Like, I'm just a selfish person. And then you get a test and go, it's non-selfishness in me. It's generosity in me. I never knew. Look at that. That's a win, baby. And sometimes you test and go, it's selfishness in me. It's egocentrism in me. And guess what? That's a win, baby. That's still a win. Not just so you could fix it, because you can't. The Lord's still going to have to fix that in you. But you know what I've learned in my experiences? When I test and something negative shows up, anybody want to know what I've learned? It makes me have more compassion to other people. If you test me and you find that I'm selfish, if you run a test and you find that I'm deceitful, and the Lord will run those tests in my life, I'm not surprised. A uh, duh. Duh. Right? I feel bad. Lord, forgive me. I got to work on getting this out of my life. No, I do not. You, dear Lord, have to work on. Please, getting this out of my heart. In the meantime, when I run into somebody that shows selfishness, when I run into somebody that shows egocentrism, when I run into somebody that is dealing with, and I see the very thing that the Lord showed me, I have more compassion, I have more mercy, I have more understanding, and I go, baby, I completely understand. The result of the test is still not for you to fix, because you don't know how. But it affords you the opportunity to be a better support. It affords you an opportunity to be a better support of somebody else. Amen? He says, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Did anybody know what consolations means? It means to console, right? And this happens all the time, right? Sister Lakeisha come to me, not very often, but when she does, she'll just pour it all out. I got this, that, the other, blah, 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 blah. And they don't start off with the whole list. It start off with one thing that is a tiny thing that she just comes undone with. See, this is how I know there's a lot of stuff behind it. She's like, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. I forgot your pencil. Ah, I should have forgot your pencil. I need to be better. What? It's okay, Keisha, it was just a pencil. No, I got to get better. I just got to spit it out. What is it? What is it? And all of a sudden, everything, and my daughter this, and my baby this, and I don't know that. Just all. When she finally gets it all out, and it all just spills out, she feels better on for one thing. I go, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And who would have thought that after you dumped that much crap out, 
after you've made a list of all the stuff you got going on, a list of all the pains, a list of all the things that the doctor said, a list of all the stuff you got going on in your heart, who would have thought that just a nice consolation would have cheered you up? But if no facto, look at the love of God. Somebody just said, it's going to be all right. When God says, it's going to be all right, he'd be like, you know what? I just feel better. You got some solutions? No, I don't know how it's going to work. But I just feel on the inside that it's going to be all right. And some of you control freaks don't want to take advantage of that. You don't want to let that make you feel good. Because you're a control freak. I don't want to feel good for the sake of feeling good. I won't feel good till it's solved. <laughs> that means you're going to be miserable for a very long time because you have no control on how it's solved or when it's solved. You don't. You have no control in that. It could be your fault. You could see something that you could do, and you still can't control it. You try to activate your plan, and things fall apart. Stuff that you just knew should have worked didn't even work. You're going, what's happening? What's going on? It was never his intent that that situation was solved right now. But you told yourself, I will only be consoled if the problem is fixed. Now, the Lord going to fix it regardless, but he's going to fix it in his timing. He might use you to assist with it. He may not. But it's going to be his timing. It might be the way you think, and it may not even be the way you think, but it's going to be his timing. Now, if that timing is longer than you would prefer, you are miserable. And the Holy Spirit will send consolations. He will send words to console you in praise and worship, in songs sung, in exhortations, through the word of God, and going out to have lunch, and stopping by for coffee. He will send words of consolation. He'll say, son, it's going to be all right. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it's going to be all right. Daughter, it's going to be all right. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it's going to be all right. And all this does for you, if you could just learn to receive the support, is that you could have a moment of peace, a moment of happiness, a moment of rest. And you won't be looking at God like he don't do it. You'll be like, he do be doing stuff. But you're giving him a bad reputation because you're miserable at a time that he was trying for you not to be miserable. You're that kid that the mama said, we can't go to Six Flags. But then she decided, like, take you to get ice cream. You got an attitude. <laughs> Baby, we can't go to Six Flags. You know, we ain't got no money. We tried to make it work, but the car broke down. Such and such, such and such, such and such. Right? Huh? Well, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you to get some ice cream. And you know your mom over there trying to be sweet. You want strawberry? You want chocolate? She, you know, she's wanting extra nice. You want some sprinkles? And you feel like somehow this is owed to you. You feel like since you broke my heart about Six Flags, you owe me this niceness. Since you didn't let me have my way, God, you owe me this. Of course, you got to be nice to me now because you're a loving God. So, duh. Not recognizing that he's offering consolation, not because he owes you anything, 
but because he doesn't like to see you in pain and disappointed. While I can't solve this, dear child, I hate to see you miserable. And some of y'all were so spoiled as kids that you didn't even recognize, right? Of course you gotta be nice to me. Then you start using it as you, in your repertoire of manipulation. Nothing translates over to God, right? It's a big deal. Well, what was I supposed to do? I, I was supposed to do, it's real easy. Baby, we can't go to Six Flags. <gasps> you wanna get some ice cream? Okay, you have the option right there at that moment to see at that time that while mommy and daddy can't do this, I'm just, look, mom, she still love me. She still want to be nice to me. She trying, I would see my mom go bend over backwards to try to make something happen. And my heart would just feel, I would feel like I got to be like, this is exciting. I got to act like this is wonderful. Because I would see her attempt to make it so much better than it really was. And I would not want her to disappoint her to make her think that I don't see her love. We're going to do sprinkles. I want some sprinkles. Like, yeah, she probably thought, the girl, gullibles, I don't get out. Okay. I ain't gullible. I see your love, and I match you with my love. We, we sharing it. I see what you're trying to do. I see what you're trying to do, and I appreciate it. Right? Not y'all. Not y'all. You see what God's trying to do, and you be like, well, duh. I mean, he got to do something. If not, I'm going to feel like he's the worst God ever, and I'm not going to serve him, and I'm not going to understand anything. I'm going to wreck my whole life. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When an all-perfect, all-faithful God consoles you, it, it should be very easy to believe it. When an all-knowing, all-powerful God tells you it's going to be all right, it should be easy to believe it. Let's go to a story. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Chapter 16. Second Chronicles, if you want to help understanding Chronicles, it chronicles the lives of the kings that ruled over Israel. It runs in conjunction with the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, which also chronicles the lives of the kings, of the children of Israel. Kings gives you more of a list of the details of the reign, where Chronicles gives you an inside look at the heart, the drama, and the prophetic utterances of God as it relates to those kingships. But they pretty much run simultaneously. Same stories reaffirmed, right? When you're there, say amen. amen. Uh, let's skip <clears throat> to verse 9. Let's start at verse 9, all right? Key verse here. I'm using the English Standard Version because I like that it uses the word support. All right, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolish in this, for from now on you will have wars. 
Stop right there. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro in the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Off the top, you can see that this scripture is saying that God looks everywhere on the earth all the time to find anybody that is in need of help and to those whose heart is blameless before him or regarding him, he wants to offer strong support. Do y'all believe that the word of God is true? If you're concerned that when he says it's going to be all right, hello, that it really is going to be all right, check the scripture. He is looking for somebody and all people that he could lend his strong support to. Who needs some help? Who? Who needs some help? Who needs, you need some help? What you got, what you got going on over there? Huh? Let me see what I could do about it. Yeah, you know, you're, you know, you, you love me, don't you? You ain't, you ain't got no qualms with me. You ain't feel like I didn't do something right. You ain't feel like I wasn't there. You ain't complaining about something I didn't give you. You ain't mad that I didn't fix this for you. You're not mad that I did. Oh, see, now I got your attention. You're not still holding on that this didn't work and you don't understand this. Towards me, your heart is blameless. When I look at you, look at me, I see that you emphatically love me and I can do no wrong in your eye. Well, I ain't going to say you do wrong because you God, but right there. But to the individuals that don't have that but, to the individuals that say, I don't know why this is going down like this. I do not like it, but I know you good. And if this is what I got to go through, just help me to go through it. He's going to come look for you. He's going to look for you. What's going on? Who, who's, who in need? I, I ain't trying to complain, Lord, but this is a little difficult. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me give you some strong support. Let me, let me hold you up. Let me help you. To individuals who try their best, right, by the, by the leading of the Holy Spirit to have no qualms with God. To accept him in all of his ways joyfully. We get so excited when we hear that strong support is automatically ours. And he's looking. So that when people say, Pastor, what you going to do? I'm going to say, I don't know, but it's going to be all right. You just so confident it's going to be all right. Absolutely. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Absolutely. The Lord is looking for me when I am weak. He's looking to offer support and not just regular support. He wants to put the stuff down, put it on the table. Yeah, yeah, strong support. I am God. <laughs> Y'all don't get excited about that? I know you got some work to do. I know, I know. It's part excitement, part. Ooh. <laughs> Yay. Mm. <laughs> I'll be more happy when I really start implementing this. Pastor. <laughs> if you're not there yet, you're taking away the idea that God is looking for those that need support. He ain't looking for the ones that fail. 
even though that needs some support. He's looking for people that's struggling, for people that's trying. I know because when you're on my heart, I'm trying to figure out a way to support you. What you need? You need five dollars? What can kind of you want to pick you up? You want me to call you? What you want me to do? I can feel that the Lord is looking for a way to support you. I can feel it. I can feel he's trying to find a way to help you deal with something that is a bit strenuous. It's a bit taxing. I can tell that he's trying to do that. And I'm a, I'm, I don't know if he's going to use me to do it. I don't know if this is what he, him using me. But, I, but at least I can encourage you until he really do show up. Sometimes he uses me to be the support, and sometimes I'm just encouraging until he does what he does best. I'm just here to tell you to hold on. What $10 going to do to your problem? Absolutely nothing, but hold on. Help is on the way, says Ms. Doubtfire, right? Hold on, hold on. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Maybe I did this wrong, maybe I did that wrong. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. Now, Pastor, it's all my fault. But it doesn't even matter. How do you feel towards God right now? How do you feel about him right now? I mean, I feel like he's amazing. I mean, I know I got my mess. Well, hold on. He's on his way. But it's all my fault. Don't even matter. Yes, it do. No, it don't. It's all my fault, so I don't expect the Lord to help me. You don't expect him to help you, girl. You're crazy. You really think you can carry this on your own? You crazy. You only in this mess because you couldn't carry the last thing on your own. Now you think you can carry this on your own. You're crazy. I don't expect the Lord to really know he is looking for somebody to help. This situation here is not who started it. How did they get to this situation? How you got this bad? How this, how this, why this happened to your life? That's not the issue. The issue is how do you feel towards God in this moment? Under this duress. In this pain, in this lack. How do you feel towards him right now? And that's what determines the strong support that he's looking to give you. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. So let's look at, um, at this scripture for a second. Uh, this, is, uh, this verse is being told to um, Asa, King Asa. All right, he was king of... Uh, I want to say Israel. He was king. He called it Israel. Okay, Israel has made a split at this point. All right, ten tribes in the north, and one in the south. That's Judah. All right. So Judah follows the line of King David, and God really wanted to snatch the whole thing from King Solomon. Um, but because of David, he didn't. But King under King Solomon's reign, they were worshiping so many gods. I mean, the list was ridiculous. It was like the epitome of universalism happening in, amongst the children of Israel. And because they had relatives and friends that had other backgrounds and religions that they just said, it's fine. My wife, she served Ashereth in the past. You know, it's all they, all, they all come together. So what we studied on Thursday about universalism is exactly what you see happening in the children of Israel. And under King Solomon, with all his wisdom, known for wisdom, he did not have enough wisdom to kick all them gods out. So you got your degrees and all. Built this grand kingdom and all. 
So everybody's serving different gods. Israel is known to have all these different gods in this land. God was fed up and he snatched the kingdom from Solomon. From Solomon's son. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Now, who, who he gave it to is hilarious. Because I would think that if you're going to give the majority of the kingdom, he let, he let King David have one tribe, the lineage of King David, and that was the tribe of Judah. His promises, he will always I'll reign forever. Your lineage, King David, your line will reign forever. Okay, I ain't going to take it all away from you. I'm going to keep you one. You just got one. Everybody else is going to go over here with this new king. The new king was a son of a servant. It's not even one of your kids. It's not one of Solomon's kids. It's not even a kid from another tribe. Like the tribe of Naphtali. Yeah, you, you got, what y'all got over there? Let's raise him up. No. <laughs> Nobody in none of the ten tribes. It was a son of a servant. He wasn't even Jewish. God gave the kingdom, ten tribes, to this dude. Hello, somebody. Do you know who it was? What was his name? Huh? First, he gave the kingdom to Jeroboam, right? From Jeroboam, it went to Asa. Well, two, it got two other kings before that, but then Asa, right? But he gave it to Jeroboam. Rehoboam was David's descendant that got Judah. Ten against one. Pastor, there are 12 tribes. The Levites don't count. They can't be political. All right? So ten and one. So all of Israel was snatched from David's line, except for the tribe of Judah, to maintain that covenant that he promised. All right? And given to a servant. The son of a servant. When Rehoboam, Solomon's son, along the line is David, David, then Solomon, then Rehoboam, all right? When he became king, Solomon had not only let people worship other gods, but he enslaved a lot of his own people to build his vast empire. And he was a very harsh taskmaster. But Israel was very wealthy because of it, right? And so when, children, when Solomon died and Rehoboam, Rehoboam was next, the children of Israel was like, Jeroboam, um, can you come with us to go talk to him? Because he, we need the new king to be a little less. New king Rehoboam said, absolutely not. I'm going to be even harder than my father. And proceeded to add more work and more slave benefits to these individuals and overly taxed his, his land. When he sent his commander-in-chief down to go talk to them, they, they killed him. And they knew, uh-oh, the people is mad. So he fled, right? He fled, Jeroboam took over the 11. The kingdom was split. At some point, uh, the children of Israel and Judah, under the line of David, began to try to fight the, the, line, the, 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 the Jeroboam with the 10. It's like, Y'all need to come back over here. He ain't even no real king. This is the real king, and it's time to go to war. They mounted up. God told Rehoboam, don't fight him. Don't even fight him. Somehow, the miraculously, the war ended with no fight. They went back to their two sides, right? They live, 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 king, 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 all right? Then Asa shows up. King Asa shows up. This is on the side with the ten tribes, 
All right. King Asa shows up and he's excited. He launches a revival. He brings the law back. He recommits the hearts. He has a revival. He starts rededicating folk. He starts reading. He starts kicking out any false gods that could be there. And this thing is blowing up. People that were kind of laissez-faire about God really wasn't sure. You know, I'm not that fired up about it. Now, all of a sudden, they're fired up. They're bringing sacrifices. They're sacrificing sheep. It's like a whole, people are, oh, my God, I love God. And they're repenting all of thousands upon thousands. It's gotten so bad or so big of a revival that people in Judah are leaving that king and crossing the line to go over here with King Asa. Prophetically, I want you to watch what's getting ready to happen as it relates to the body of Christ. People start leaving this wishy-washy stuff and start traveling over here doing the same stuff they should have always been doing. Real simple, real basic, ain't no nothing new and flashy, just the same old, same old, which you always should have been doing. And they just coming by the droves. People was leaving his kingdom by choice to go sit under a servant, not even the king of David's son. Just, like, just like, and we don't care, they, they doing the things of God. Left, the king of uh, Judah got so mad, of course, he pitched war again, right? Let's fight. So he got uh, a partnership with Syria, and they began to encamp around uh, Israel, the one with the ten tribes, right, and King Asa. I wanted to start war. Now at this point, King Asa and Israel are doing very well. The kingdom has grown. They got a ton of money. Their treasuries are stacked full. People are worshiping God. King Asa says, so you going to come against me? He goes to Syria. Take some of the silver and gold out of the treasury because he's got a ton of it, right? People been giving, breaking it off, right? They're loving this new life, right? He goes and tells the king of Syria, you and I, we used to be friends. Dump this dude named Judah, and I'll give you all this money. Let's go back and reconnect the way we had it. King of Syria says, fine. Dumps them, right, and begins to fight against Judah. What we're seeing in verse 8, are you with me? Y'all all right? What we're seeing in verse 8 is the prophet that came and chastened King Asa. Said, King, you done messed up. So let me tell you something about support. While you have to perfect how to support one another, what is most important is you recognize how to have the support of God. And there are some things that are not acceptable. Do you understand? I just read to you that God searches all over. We're going to look at that again. But there are some things that are not acceptable for his strong support. And sometimes you don't recognize that. And you want to claim that he did something wrong or you don't understand. But it's really simple. There's some qualifications for his strong support. And you didn't know what they are. Amen? Amen. So let's see what King Asa messed up on. All right. So King Asa struck a treaty again with Syria, made Syria turn back and fight Judah. And they won. At the time, verse 7, the prophet or the seer, Hanani, Hanani, Hanani uh, came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. He goes on to say, were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, 
he gave them into your hand. Now here's our verse, verse nine. For the lives of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. This one mistake has set up for the rest of King Asa's reign nothing but conflict. Some of your lives look just like this. You made one mistake, and you know, and I know, that all we see is conflict. You be doing good for a minute, next thing you know, enemy rising up against you. Been doing good for a minute, that's the enemy just coming against me. Been doing, and just constant, constant. If it ain't the enemy, it's the enemy in you. Because remember, children of Judah and Israel were the same people. This is a division amongst the same individual. So if it ain't the outsiders fighting with you, it's you fighting with you. And no matter what I do, I just see you back and forth, back and forth with conflict in yourself and conflict with other people on the outside. Anybody been there? Anybody there? Here is a litmus test to tell you what you got to do, what you did wrong. You're like, tell me. It's right. Okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. <laughs> tell me what I did wrong. All right. The idea is very simple. When King Asa fought the Egyptians and the Libyans, they were two, two countries that, that united together to fight them. All right? He didn't have this much money. He didn't have this many people. He had no solutions, no options but to trust God. Mm, okay. There was nothing for him to do but trust God. Come on now. Uh -huh. Hello? There was nothing for him to do but trust God. And lo and behold, he trusts God. God was searching to and fro. And he came and gave him strong support, and they won. I mean, they beat 300,000. All right. Do you understand Solomon and his crew had horses? Horses don't show up in Egypt in place. They had to bring them over. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine being in a nation where horses and other nations don't have horses? We about to kill y'all. You running from us? It's like your mind. <laughs> So he, he, would, he had nothing else to rely on, nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. These two nations rise up against him. He knows that God has stripped the nations, gave it to him. God, if you called me to do it, if that's what you wanted me to do, then why are they fighting against me? I can't do anything but rely on you. Right. Now, with the time, Judah connects with the Syrians to rise back up against Rehoboam. Rehoboam's situation has changed. He's got a little cash. Oh, he's got a little money. He's got a little clout. He got a little, little healing now. He's he, he not in the same place as he used to be. Hello? He, he don't have to deal with the same stuff he used to deal with. You know? he, done, he done grew up. Hello? He done had this great revival, but restored in God. He done know, he know the voice of the Lord. He's been crying out. I mean, he, he, done, he done grew up in some things. So he doesn't even ask God, what should he do? He assumes that he knows. The thing is, you don't want me to fight Israel again, right? Judah again, right? Okay, so I won't. No, that wasn't the case. I was about to give Judah and Syria back to you. Now, Syria escapes you. You could have had them both. 
And if not both, King David would have got away. His lineage would have got away. And you would have had Syria. Now you don't even have Syria. He said, this is foolish. And the prophet comes and says, when you had no other alternative, did God not show up for you? When you had nothing else to turn to, nowhere else to go. When you didn't understand this, you didn't have the Wikipedia, you couldn't look it up on the internet. Did he not show up for you? He gave you strong support. And now when you see that you're faced with another fight, another conflict, you don't even go back to God. You trust that you know what to do. You trust in your own money. Some of you have made decisions because you know your pockets can handle it. Didn't even ask God whether you should be doing that or not. But you're about to get them taxes, and you already know, I wish a ninja would. Feeling real confident in that money. Oh, I know. Don't even act. Done made some choices because you see that money coming up. Yeah, whatever. But didn't even ask God. Already made plans to be self-sustaining and independent. Like you know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. But you got a little clout, a little cash, a little wisdom, you know? You ain't, you, ain't, you ain't scraping the bottom of the barrel no more. Got your little nails done, you know? Get, get your line up, okay? Got your hair done, you know? I mean, I ain't where I need to be, but you know, thank God I ain't where I used to be, you know? And you see a situation that you think you automatically know the answer to. You think you automatically know. You think you got it. And the foolish part, and this is what is really dumb, is that every other war the Lord sustained you, and this time you don't think that you're supposed to rely on him because somebody told you a lie about what support was and how to receive support. Somebody told you a lie about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Somebody told you a lie about knowing what to do and how to solve your own problems. Somebody sold you a wolf ticket, and you've never learned how to rely on God even when you don't have to. Jesus. You've only mastered relying on God when you have to. I only go run into you when I have to. But if I don't have to, I know what you want me to do. Do whatever I think is best. Absolutely not. Rehoboam, you're not even supposed to have this nation. You, you're not even supposed to be saved. You're not supposed to be counted amongst the children of Israel as the promised people. You don't know nothing. So far, all the years you've been alive, 40, 50, 60, 70, 30, you've only learned how to rely on God in times of need. But not how to rely on God when you don't have to. And when he doesn't rush to your aid, you're surprised. When you don't feel his support, you're shocked and bitter. Do you know what King Asa did next? He got so mad that the prophet called him out on this, that he, the man who led the revival, the man who trusted the, the prophets and the priests, threw this prophet in jail tortured him, and then proceeded to torture other people in his kingdom. (laughs) 
When somebody comes to tell you, you were supposed to go to God with that first. Well, I, I'm just doing what I think I'm supposed to do. I ain't got to ask nobody. I know how God talks. This is what I'm supposed to do. Y'all that? A man help, um, God help a man to help himself. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm. All of that you got going on. And when somebody comes and says, hey, I think this happened in your life because you really should have sought God first and foremost on that. You get angry. You get mad. Primarily because you can't understand how a person like you, who has such a loving testimony with God, could have got something that simple wrong. So now everybody else is wrong. And the pastor be trying to control people. What? No, I don't. I don't care what you pick, but I know you better ask him first. So everybody else is wrong. Everybody else gets thrown in prison. Everybody else get bound. I can't say nothing. Don't say nothing against that. Don't say nothing against them because they're going to have a fit and they're going to be running around my church being mad at me, mad at everybody else, mad at God. And I can tell because you say some of the most cruelest things about people. Trying to imprison and torture other people that ain't got nothing to do with your problems. And when I say, I think you're being overly mean. I ain't being mean. You always taking up for them. You have an issue with God. And you see too much wrong that everybody else is doing without any compassion, without any mercy. The Bible says be tenderhearted. You won't be tenderhearted to not one believer in this house. Tenderhearted means that you are capable of being hurt. If my heart is tender, you poke me, it's going to hurt. A hardened heart means I'm going to toughen it up so it ain't going to hurt that much. You refuse to be tenderhearted. You can't understand why God is not rushing to your aid. Well, it's different for you, Pastor, because now it ain't no different for me. I rely on him when I have to, and I rely on him when I don't have to. I can't help it if he tr- stay true to his word. He's looking for me to help me. <laughs> well, I don't feel like God is looking out for me like that. I wonder why. Maybe he's not. But that can be remedied. Because you make decisions apart from God, and then you can't figure out why he don't have your support. Ain't that right, Sierra? Can't figure it out. He just left me out here. No, you left him when you felt like you had a solution. King Asa then decided to go and put this man in in the stocks in prison, tortured him. And they proceeded to torture, and Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Anybody was like, that ain't even right what he did. I can't stand you or you or you in prison. (laughs) And that says, anybody that even liked the seer, I don't like you. So now you got a whole clique, whole clique of, of people that support you. Verse 11 says, the acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Verse 12 says, in the 39th year of his reign, King Asa was diseased in his feet. And his disease became severe. My, 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 I wonder what's going to happen here. He got diseased in his feet. And the disease got severe. 
word of God goes on to say, yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. Your anger, because you did not rely on the Lord when you felt like you didn't have to, meant that he did not support you. And because he did not support you, you got angry. You got angry at him and anybody else that does his work. And not only that, you got so angry that you decided to make it a pattern that apparently God doesn't like to intervene with the matters that happen in regular people's lives. So when my feet get sick, I'm just going to go to the doctor and I don't have to go to God. You didn't get support because you didn't rely on support. That's it. And when you didn't get to your support, you got mad. Well, I mean, Ruby, am I supposed to ask God about everything? Yes. So he just want me to ask him about all the little things I do in my life. I mean, you don't have to, but if you want support at any point, you should probably do that. I have to tell people all the time, especially people like Sierra, when I give you instructions, you come to me and say, Pastor, help me. I don't know what to do. And I tell you what to do. I pray. I talk to you. Talk to the Lord. With reasoning and scripture, I show you that this is the best uh, mode of wisdom for you. When you go back and do whatever you want to do, what do you expect me to say? And you don't come back immediately. You come back when it falls so bad. It gets so, 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 so bad. And then you don't even, I don't even have the kindness to come back humble. You come back, I tried to do what you said to do, and it didn't even. I said, well, tell me what you did. Oh, that's not what I said at all. Well, I'm not, I was going to do that. I, I mean, I had, listen, I was going to do what you said, but then I, fi I figured that. So you, what you want me to do? I need some support. <laughs> the funny thing is, I can give you my support all day, but it ain't my support you're craving. And you know it. You know it. You know it. I tell you, all right, baby, this is why I think I'm going to give you $20. You go ahead and take care of that. What can I do? You're like, thank you. And you still got this ickiness in you. He still got this uneasy set under. Uh, uh, thank you, but uh, uh, that was. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I pre, I, I'm appreciative. God, you could at least have done this. You could at least have done that. I mean, other people could have done this. They didn't do that. I mean, you did this for this other person, and over there, they was always doing this. Your issue is not support from me or other people. Your issue is you can feel that you do not have the support of the Father. And since you wanted to be left to your own devices. So the only advice is what you have. You took it in your hands of man, then what you get is help of hands of man. And my help is so tiny. It's like a little, little grain of sand and all your many problems. But in essence, that was what you gave to yourself. What you decided was a grain of sand in all the midst of your problems. So the only thing he did is give you what you said you wanted without saying you wanted it. The man said, then we got disease in his feet. He didn't even go to God. 
he went to the physicians. Well, Pastor, are we not supposed to use the doctors? Mm. Doctors are a tool. But you rely on God for your health. Doctors are a tool. Just a tool. That's all they are. But in terms of whether you're going to be whole, healed or not, you have to rely on God for that. That's it. They're a tool. They run the test. They tell you got this. This medicine might work. This medicine might not work. You should know that about this. You can use the screwdriver, but it does not mean you're going to fix the problem. Hello? They're a tool. You take your medicine, go home, be like, Lord, bless it. It's in your hands. If you take the medicine and it works, praise be the Lord. He used that tool to manifest your healing. But even without the tool, he could have done the same thing. If you take the medicine and the medicine does not work and you relied on God, then you have to continue to rely on God. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the first, in the 41st year of his reign. He got sick in the 39th year. He died in the 41st. What was that, two, three years? Two years? Two years of pain and suffering. Two years of physician's medicine's not working. Don't tell me that you don't have things against, against God in your heart. Because you can go two years with the same earthly problems because you refuse to rely on him. You really think you know what to do. Because you got your degrees and all. Got your checks coming in. I mean, I got a place to stay now, so I'm pretty sure. Okay. We rely on God not because we have to, but because we want to. Making use of doctors is your responsibility. But trusting in your doctors and expecting something from them that only God can give is foolish. That's dumb. But the thing about our condition, as, as we're closing for today, the thing about our condition is when we feel like we have something that will work in our hands, the temptation is to still rely on God and not this. Adam and Eve sinned because they saw that the tree was good for knowledge and evil. And what messes us up is when we see that we can do something. When we see that, that this could work, then you gonna tell me not to do that immediately? Exactly. But I know all I gotta do is do this. All I gotta do is I can do this over there, flip that, flip that, get that hustle, I got that money, I'll be out of this situation, and now I love God more after this. The temptation is when you feel like you have a solution, not to trust in your solution. That's the temptation. And if you don't win, you're not, you don't win over that temptation, you're not going to be the one he's seeking after to lend strong support to. Don't you want him to be looking for you? If I'm straining under the pressure of a weight, I want to know that somebody is, who, who needs some help? Who needs some help? Who, 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 who? Me. Hey, 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 hey. <sighs> Whew, thank you. 
Great job. Thank you so much. What I'm trying to show you is the preventative thing. I'm not trying to show you how to get support now. I'm trying to show you how to make, support, make sure you have support then. Right now, you, most of y'all are in situations that you can't undo. I have to rely on God if it gets worse. I have to rely on God to keep me through it. That's it. But what I will do is the next time I feel like I have a solution, I'm going to choose to trust God. I'm going to look at this thing in my hand that I think I could use to fix it and recognize that that, that's foolish. That's dust. That's a figment of my imagination. It's a hologram. It is not actual. The only thing that is real for you is you relying on the Father. And it works every time. Every time, standing all over the house. 